So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day. Hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. It's a fair amount of technical issues and a very deep cheers. We are off. At least it's easier than going to space. We have first impressions. What do you think of this hellbent Oktoberfest? I think it's great. It's uh, not October yet, but uh, it's never too early for an Oktoberfest beer. And tomorrow is fall, so basically right on our game here. Um, we got some first impressions on dark waters and underwater. Little, little bit of water today. Any guesses as to where underwater is set? Mm, I'm going to say five miles underneath the ocean's surface. Let's find out. Does that sound right? Is that correct? I think you're going out on a limb here, but I'll take your word for it. All right. And then at the end of the show, we are going to be doing a special review on your one of your favorite films on the year. It's a short film. Why don't you tell us about it? That's correct. It's a short called Altiplano by Milena Slam, a uh, 15-minute uh, short, eager to check it out once again and to get your thoughts. Indubitably. Onto the water. That was terrible. There we go. Listen carefully. You are now 5,000 miles from land, and you're descending seven miles to the bottom of the ocean. See you all in a month. What was that? Turn your lights off. Underwater. All right. We just watched the trailer for Underwater, directed by William Eubank. Love William Eubank. It releases January 10th. What else has William Eubank directed? Uh, he has directed The Signal in 2014. I never saw that, but I heard, uh, I heard some decent things, if I remember correctly, which specific horror film that is. As well as a title called Love from 2011. Metascore for The Signal was a 54. The user is a 6.1 out of 10. Well, this movie takes place seven miles underwater, so I was deeply incorrect in my assertion. Um, I'll still give it to you. It appears to be a ghost story. Um, perhaps, perhaps a separately evolved race underwater, um, in high pressure conditions of the sea. What are, what are you picking up on? I think it looks great. I think it looks entertaining, thrilling. Uh, yeah, whether these are sea monsters, that's interesting. You went with ghosts. I couldn't tell. Maybe sea monsters, some kind of underwater alien species that we were not aware of. Well, it's that, that light switch, and then we hear, like, the, the power up, right? And then, like, all of a sudden we start seeing things. And it just, it felt very much like the ghost image uh, It's very technology. much plain like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like this cast. Uh, I like the general vibe of it. I don't. Um, I don't. The cast or the vibe? The cast. Oh, oh, I thought you were a Kristen Stewart fan. Big fan. Love uh, her in the star role. 
worried about TJ Miller, worried mm. about the other people that I don't know the names of. Um, like it could be great, but it could also be like a just one of those things where they think they assembled the right team and it just kind of all falls apart. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know that I would have thought to put Kristen Stewart and DJ Miller in the same movie. Uh, I It might be one of the last things I thought. I like Vincent Cassell. That's the name I was blanking on. He's the older guy yes. in the crew. Known from his Gaspar Noé films. Exactly. Um, yeah, from uh, a director I'm not very familiar with. Uh, you know, other mainly a big budget spectacle kind of thing. It still looks kind of original enough that I think I could have a good time with it. Yeah. Um, I very much like those underwater suits. Very sleek looking looking outfits there. Uh, it kind of reminded me of a movie that I'm forgetting the name of. It came out in China. Um, it's one of my, my top sci-fi films of the year, even with Ad Astra. Um, I, I'm blanking on the name. It's a Sijin Liu book originally, but he th- that film, I think it's $270 million dollar. Uh, sci-fi film like really played up the cool spacesuit angle and i think that this is kind of like if you make a great costume then we are as an audience can really pretend that they're underwater which is nice yes. yeah i think it looks decent i'm always a little worried about underwater movies that they're going to be kind of just murky and kind of boring to look at but it looks like they're being creative and finding some color uh yeah I'll check it out. What are, what are the chances I get you to watch this with Prometheus? Oh, you think there could be connections? I, I think they're compatible. Maybe, yeah, in just sort of the uh, the general feel of the thing. It's a possibility. I know you've been pushing Prometheus. I got to give in at some point. Uh, you you like really do have to. As as good of a one to pair it with as any. And I've tried it many times. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's good enough. We'll watch it for the show. Um, I hope. And on to Dark Waters. Our government is captive to DuPont. They're trying to force you to make me stop. He was willing to risk his job, his family, for a stranger who needed his help. The system is rigged. They want us to think it'll protect us. We protect us. We do. All right, that is Dark Waters, Michael. Mark Ruffalo, Bill Camp, Anne Hathaway, Tim Robbins. Uh, Bill Pullman name drop at the end, although we didn't see him. What do you think? Looks like Oscar bait to me. Agreed. Quite the cast. Uh, based on a true event, social drama. That mm-hmm. is the kind of thing the Oscars eat up. Uh, not the kind of thing that like I'm usually super excited about, but that I'll usually find to be solid. Yep. Um, just not the one I'm usually, I'm not usually chopping at the bit to see this kind of thing. Um, but uh, I really like Todd Haynes, so I can't help but be curious to see what he'll do with it. Um, what about you? Yeah, I agree with those sentiments. This is one of those things where, no disrespect to Todd Haynes, but I wish that this came out digitally at the same time it came out in theaters. Because I'm a lot more game to watch this at home than to have to log out to the theater for a two and a half hour, I imagine, romp through, you know, intrigue where I know that he's not going to get killed, but they're still marketing it with like, is the engine going to explode? And it's like, it's a fucking movie. Of course, it's not going to explode. It's like, it's for mass consumption. Like, I'm not going to bite on that bit. Um, 
like what I saw out of Bill Camp. It's just nothing's ever going to be Aaron Brockovich. So <laughs> if I don't see anything nifty about the genre or like that they're doing something kind of different, I'm a little bit uh, underwhelmed. And that's the best way to put how I feel about this one. Underwhelmed. But I love Mark Ruffalo and Anne Hathaway, so. Yeah. I, I could see this duking it out with the report for the based on true events, capital I, important movie of Oscar season. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe has, they you know, will be star-studded like cast. fighting for second. Mm, yeah. Because um, we both know what's going to get first. That being? The laundromat. Oh, there it is. Uh, yeah, I uh, think it's interesting. This kind of feels like a late... Uh, a latecomer, right? Hasn't really played at any of the festivals. Um, so I do appreciate I, yeah, that. Like, no opinions yet. They might. I, I do worry with some of these deadlines, especially around this time. They're like, maybe they rush edited it. Um, like maybe it won't be tight. Maybe it won't be quite what Todd envisioned for the film, but because of distribution, he has to release it. Um, I think that we've seen that happen to a couple dramas that are released for Oscar bait. And um, I I hope that something happens to make it tighter. Like, I just genuinely didn't like the look of it, mm. camera-wise. I, I don't know if you saw what I was seeing at all, but it didn't look um, Hainesian, we'll say. Yeah, I, I don't know that I would say I didn't like it. it nothing really took me by surprise. Uh, felt kind of run-of-the-mill for a socially conscientious drama. Yeah, um, I, I just didn't see the camera doing anything that spoke to craftsmanship. You right. know, like it looked fine, but it didn't right. look like I think of when I think of Haynes. Yeah, yeah, maybe deferring more here to the actors. Um, just fine. I just, I'm with you. I like to see him do something maybe a little more uh, striking yeah. with it. Because so. he's, he's capable of it. Very yeah. capable. Yeah. Uh, well, on to something more socially conscientious, and that is some strippers stripping and hustlers. I just want to take care of my grandma, maybe go shopping every once in a while. When I was a kid, I always wanted to work with animals. <laughs> I was close. These Wall Street guys. You see what they did to this country? They stole from everybody. Hardworking people lost everything. And not one of these douchebags went to jail. The game is rigged, and it does not reward people who play by the rules. But it's like robbing a bank, except you get the keys. Are you in? We have Constance Wu, uh, Jennifer Lopez, Nicki Minaj. That's Cardi B. Thank you oh, very much. Oh, is it much. Cardi B? Sorry. I made the same mistake. I leaned over to Gabby, and I was like, that's Nicki Minaj. I'm like, oh, fuck. No, it's not. It's Cardi B. It's Cardi B. Uh, I think Lizzo is in it. Correct? Very briefly. Okay. Despite the marketing. Yes. Reminding us that she was in it. Um, And that's all I know. Julia Stiles. Oh, yeah. But that's the worst part of the movie. So I pretend that's not there. Otherwise, yeah. I think that about covers it. No one else that I am terribly familiar with. Yes. Agreed. I was very surprised by the acclaim this has received. What about you? Um, makes sense. Magic Mike, Magic Mike, Double uh, XL is a they're, they're like indie darlings for critics and people that are like 
into cinema. Um, it very much leans into Soderbergh's style of ju- just visual style. Um, I really responded to the day in the life of like in the humanization of these strippers. That was like my favorite part. So like, I totally get it. I just, I hated the framing device. I thought that there was zero payoff. I did not find it interesting that this is like a true story in any sense. I would have rather had it, um, try to tell an original story than lean into that aspect. Yeah. My theory on this one is that because it played, I think towards the end of TIFF, I could be wrong about this, but maybe after critics had already seen, you know, a handful of cerebral, more artsy leaning kinds of films, something very accessible uh, was a welcome surprise towards the end of the festival. Started out with some positive reviews and people have kind of ran with it. Um, Mm -hmm. I agree. I think the, like the reference points are, are clear. Uh, Soderbergh definitely being one. Uh, I just don't think the character development is there at all. And I don't think the direction's all that sharp. Um, I do really like Jennifer Lopez. I think, uh, Constance Wu also felt full bodied, but yeah, I, I cannot get on the Constance Wu train yet. I'm over two on her. Um, after, this and crazy rich Asians. I just, I don't know. She's, so, she just doesn't have it for me. I don't want my metaphors mixed here. I'm not saying she's a great actress or even a good actress. I'm simply saying her character's portrayal by the camera, specifically like that tracking shot when she still has blood on her shirt and she goes from her house across the lawn. Like th- there are moments where the character almost feels real. Hmm. Um, with camera assistance and the actress. I, mm. I, I haven't made a definitive decision on Constance Wu. I don't know that I'm even over two on her. I just, mm. I feel like I can't unlock her. Yeah. The yeah. guy would have much rather seen Aquafina in that role. Yeah. I can tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did not respond to her in any way like I did to, to J-Lo. I mean, I do think. Super charismatic. Uh, yeah. I do think the, the confidence is, is, is pretty great. Um, and. I don't know. I think there's something about just the world building building of it that feels very weak to me. Like that this doesn't even really feel like a strip club to me, like the way it should feel kind of, you know, dingy and gross and that it feels very glossy just doesn't really feel right to me. Um, I think there's something kind of off about the world building and more than just how any individual character is developed. It's about how they kind of relate to each other, like particularly not just JLo and Constance Wu, but the other two girls who kind of round out the foursome and how I just felt like there was really hardly anything to define them. And then there was supposed to be this kind of sense of family between them all that I just felt was so thin. It did end up feeling like there's just not enough screen time for the grandma to matter. Like, like what's wrong with the grandma? Why does she need the money? Why did she pawn her necklace? Why does the new necklace of pearls mean like it just it takes um, kind of the informant angle and that that angle that we see in um, Logan Lucky, where at the end of the movie, Hillary Swank's tying all these things together. And it actually has a payoff where like she says that she can't prove it, but that she knows it's true. And it's like. It's kind of a fun smirk because we expected her to be able to prove it because that's the normal trope mm. is that and they didn't get away with it and then they do get away with it. And that's why it's kind of fun. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and this just, it takes those Soderbergh green themes and it just never arrives with them. Yeah, I would agree. Um, there are scenes that I think just fall really flat because of how those dynamics fail to materialize. Like the Christmas morning scene where the grandma's in attendance, everyone's there. And I think there's supposed to be this sense of family there that I just felt was so faint. Um, See, like that scene made me smile. And then when it was over, I was like, what the fuck did I just watch? Right. And I so think- like it worked on me. But then I like after the fact, it didn't. I would agree. It's not uh, unpleasant, but I did find it like instantly forgettable. Um because I just I just felt there was not That's how people. I feel about the movie, though. That's why I didn't write a review until today, because we were going to review mm. it when I watched it eight days ago. Because, like, I just, I don't remember enough about, like, I, re- I remember stuff, I just, it, it's all neutral. Like, why didn't support the girls get this type of support? Oh, it breaks my heart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it I, makes no sense. Yeah, I agree. I think that says so much more about uh this this kind of industry that sort of depends on an attraction to the female body than than this does um yeah i I don't know i I just did not take that much satisfaction in them turning the tables uh on the men when I just feel like these these characters were just too hollow for me. I think you pronounced um, it wrong. It's how the turn tables nice. What else? I, I I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I still guess I'm. I sound very negative. I I, I guess I did give it a uh, slightly positive review, and it's just kind of about how kind of kind of about how easy it goes down. I I was never um, super bored by it. I guess it you know it just kind of moves um, along, but I don't know. I'm I'm still just a little. It's fun but hollow. I would agree. Like there's scenes that they're like. super fake and ecstatic i don't this is kind of pretentious but i feel like no one in the movie was actually acting Mm. and although i loved j-lo she was just like i'm a movie star i'm movie starring the way that george clooney did with her and out of sight um another soderbergh film no one's like actually performing the like that thespian art of mm. I'm an actor acting and the fact that no one was acting besides maybe Julia Stiles in very small increments that like make her seem like she's out of place. It just, it does something where I, I don't know. I, I feel like the movie, it falls apart. The more you look. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. As much as I like JLo, I I could see someone saying that it feels more like an impersonation than a performance of just a particular kind of strong den mother um mm-hmm. that is uh other than her physical prowess. Cuz I mean no it doubt. is impressive. Oh, no doubt. Absolutely. <laughs> and I I kind of think the the beginning is what I like to boast. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of goes downhill for the, me. The like, first fifth, first fourth of it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and it kind of just gradually lost me as... Well, it moves away from that locker room style, and that's what I responded to most was that locker room scene. That's where I actually think the family was strong. And then when they moved to the fake residence of the family, um, that's where it got hollow for me. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's, and just little peripheral details like J-Lo having a daughter, but her kind of taking Constance Wu under her arm into her furs, mm-hmm. as she says in the opening scene. Something about that just seems a little funny to me like these people do have their own families and i guess they are sort of making their own but there's also something very strange to me about how it sort of fails to like imply much to me about what is like going on in these people's lives otherwise you know and the rules of the world of the film make it so that like that's actually something to criticize Mm -hmm. whereas in on becoming a god in central florida it's mm-hmm. kind of an irony thing yeah. where it's yeah, like, yeah. I'm Kristen Dunst. I'm doing all of these things all of the time. I have a baby daughter. And the fact that we have no idea how she's okay or even alive is kind of like funny. In this, Definitely. it's black comedy for sure. Yeah. In this, it's what's happening. They, like they played it too. There's just too much working against it, unfortunately, yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. The blonde girl, we very kind of briefly hear that you know her family kind of rejected her she has brothers and they rejected her after they realized she was a stripper mm-hmm. and it's like just the expositional check mark of what this woman's background is i just don't really feel like the implication of of more than that was was there um and i think that she was the funniest character though i think she was funny I and mean, i think she was yeah. good in her role it's just I, a, a small role I agree. Um, Narrow. Yeah, I did recognize her. I forget her name now. I, I had looked it up because I was trying to remember where I, I had seen her before. She was in she like was a good. large ensemble film that was like fine, if I remember yeah. correctly. Like one of those threes, three and a halves. Yeah. Kind of like this. Um, and then the the fourth member of the group is the one who has the boyfriend or maybe the husband who's in jail. Um which again, I just, I don't know. I didn't, I just felt like there was a lot left on the table there um, about. Yeah, we don't get to know uh, her at all. No, no. Um, I'm, oh, well, I guess we do. She had the real job and got J-Lo the real job. And that's like as much as we come to know about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, why isn't J-Lo taking equal care of these girls? And then that mm-hmm. girl at the end, like, why why is she more important than those other girls? Um, I think that it was just trying to, like, hammer home really, really heavy-handed points mm-hmm. about, like, what these characters did in the original um, article that this is based on, mm-hmm. rather than trying to be a, a film of body. Yeah, I would agree. I think uh, it makes its thesis the last line of the movie, right? Isn't it? Doesn't it end on that? Actually, maybe not. Maybe it's like the second to last scene where J-Lo says something like, this whole country's a strip club, right? Yeah. You're either dancing or you're in the crowd. Um, I mean, that's, it's fine. It is fine. You're right. I wish that the movie didn't feel it needed to say that. Yeah, Um, because it was never operating at the big short level. mm -hmm. You know, there's a certain playfulness that magic mike sustains that that allows it to um to not be treated the way that we, you and i are talking about this one i actually don't know how you feel about magic mike but oh i've never seen magic mike okay. i'm very familiar with it just because i because of how many people i know who like it but I've, I, I still have not seen magic mike it's like it sticks to its own strictures as far as 
how it's going to tell its story. And although it makes some metaphorical overtures to that effect, it never says them vocally, much like Michael Bay's Pain and Gain. And mm. that's, you know, they definitely operate in the same um, criticism of economics in America. Pain mm-hmm. and Gain, Magic Mike, Magic Mike, Double XL. And I think Hustlers tried to get in on the game. It just, um, the back end of it, N- not its aim, but it's how it, the wheels that it put itself on to try to get there didn't work out. Yeah, yeah. It, it'll be very easy to remember what this movie was was about and, and trying to say, but uh, like I just don't think the feeling is going to stick because of uh, the narrative and the characters that it's all kind of attached to. It's, mm-hmm. It just doesn't really stick, doesn't hold up. So let me ask you the hardest question that hey. I think that you and I are going to have to answer about this film. What was your favorite scene, Michael? Would you like to go first? <laughs> you are an evil person, and I'm just going to pivot back to a scene that I previously had mentioned. This is um, after they drop off the guy who almost died at the hospital, and J-Lo's not answering the phone because she's bailing the new girl out of jail. And Constance Wu is goes home, goes inside, can't find her daughter, um, and then... maybe there's a note or maybe it's intuition i can't remember but it's a one track handheld camera shot that follows her across the lawn through the street up the neighbor's lawn and she knocks on the door and there's her daughter and she's still wearing the blood-stained outfit and then she carries her daughter back towards the car and i think we get a cut there but it's a it's a one track shot yeah i thought it was pretty good filmmaking i agree um struggling to think of one particular scene that i really liked so instead i'll just do a running gag which was definitely the blonde um can we get to something not bad like ad astra let's move on or at least i think it's not bad what do you think michael what is happening out there is a crisis of unknown magnitude we believe your father may be involved my father's dead what exactly are you requiring from me? Exploration isn't always a noble venture. We have to hold out the possibility that your father may be hiding from us. much still processing it preach ratings wise um can probably add a four which so tops out in 84 okay that feels that feels good somewhere between 76 and 84 yeah yeah um i'm between an 86 and a 94 pretty high on it there's a lot to it and i think that i'm so high on it because I've been spending some time in the sci-fi space for a while. So mm. as soon as they're like, he, he went here to get outside the heliosphere to observe these planets for extraterrestrial life that is intelligent. I was like, whoa, we're playing in real science games. Let's do this. And then the metaphors just continued. Um, when they go into the abandoned space 
um, research uh, vehicle. I think it was between Mars and Venus. Um, and we have that encounter with the baboon. Mm. After we see the, the wall shredded, that was just like mm. so deeply beautiful at a poetic level. Like mm. we're expecting the worst things of the universe to kill us. And it's just mm. that which came before us that kills us. Mm-hmm. And that is a running theme in this film as far as like his father, his father's pursuit of intelligent life um, and whether or not that intelligent life should be equated to religion. And is this a film about mm. a meditation on atheism or not? It really works mm. in a Paul Schrader feel like mm. way for me. I don't know if that happened for you, but interesting. Yeah, there's no, a, a lot. I uh, yeah, I hadn't I hadn't found any religious themes yet. That's interesting. Uh, the first um, video that we see of the father, um, Tommy Lee Jones talking mm. to Brad Pitt is he explicitly starts talking about God. Uh, gotcha, gotcha. And then he's um, out there looking for intelligent life, more intelligent than our own. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, in terms of it being, you know, to some extent about a quest for meaning, you know, that is inherently religious, uh, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, I would, I, would, I would definitely agree with that. Um, yeah, if someone had paused the movie as you see that astronaut's body wriggling and you don't know yet what it is that's on the other side of him... I would have drawn a blank. I had no idea what it was that might be on the other side of him. Um, you just knew I did that appreciate it could that surprise. Draw its claws through with the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, quite unexpected. Um, I do think the movie has its sh- its share of thrills between that uh, and the pirate scene on the moon. I thought it was it was a terrific sequence. Um, I'm really still, great sound design. Yeah, I, I'm very interested to see just how this uh, plays in the coming weeks and if, like, general audiences will be uh, no. disappointed by it. Yes. I think they probably uh-huh. will be. This is first man, but worse. Yeah, I think uh, it, for me, kind of pivoted around the time that he arrives on Mars from feeling pretty conventional, uh towards something a little more abstract or at least introspective not that it wasn't introspective to begin with but it really leans in that direction at that point for me there are multiple tone shifts um i i think most notably for me it's it's when he gets off earth Mm. um not necessarily when he lands on mars but but once he's on that spaceship something through is about to happen like there's a through line when he's on Earth, it's kind of a bunch of, of dancing around. It's not necessarily part of the same line. But once he's on that spaceship, the destination's clear. And it's mm-hmm. how he's going to get there that's not clear. But we know that it's a straight shot. But when he's still on Earth, we don't quite know. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me that was the turning point because it's when the movie started to just look a little bit different. When he starts recording those messages to his father for the first time, he's in that room with the, you know, sort of ribbed pattern walls mm-hmm. um sound yeah and he's in those uh rooms with uh ruth nega and the comfort rooms um it's i don't know it starts to feel just a little more um blade runnery yeah yeah more uh deliberately colorful um everything felt kind of familiar and how it looked up until that point um 
what else? Um, yeah, I am positive on it. I guess I it took me a little while just to kind of find its wavelength because of how it struck me as pretty conventional up until a certain point. Um, particularly with the narration, that's a boring criticism, but I guess I'm still not quite sure how I feel about it. I think it probably could have done without it. Um, but I still think it mostly works for me as a story about, uh, uh, abandonment and a son's quest for closure with his father. I think it means to me pretty literally what it's about and what we actually see which is maybe what holds me back just a little bit is that like I'm trying to find like a little bigger meaning from it than exactly what plays out but I don't know if it's anything like The Lost City of Z that movie only looks better to me in hindsight and I think this could do the same but we'll see I think that it's like Lost City of Z which is a film that shifts halfway through perspective wise like there there is a shift on mars where um he begins to be honest and he's treated like he's insane um so like there there is that plan for it but i i would point back towards first reformed where although there's a literal ground up meaning there's also a finale that um he will not commit one way or the other to what exactly ethan hawk's character did or did not do and I think that the the religious metaphor could be found in the argument that some people are making of was Tommy Lee Jones's character even real at the end? Mm. I did not feel the syntax suggested that to me. I felt that it was quite true what we mm-hmm. saw. I felt, but that we never see evidence that he is alive from from an never uh, see from a another third party. source. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's it's not something provable um i i lean towards that with you but i do think that by taking his literal words and and his meaning of a higher intelligence than our own um Mm. and taking the previous inclination towards god and like what is god a greater intelligence than our own and like that he 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 resents humanity and is looking for something better than us i do and that once once Brad Pitt comes and collects this data from his father and mm. his father's suffering and his father's journey that shows that there is nothing greater than us mm. um, and that his father can't live with that um, and that maybe there's something to that in the previous generations of, of us as a species. Um, you know, God's been dead, according to Nietzsche, for about 140 years now. Um and we do live in a more atheistic society than ever before. Christian atheism is extremely common. Um, agnosticism is extremely common. People believe in God at increasingly lower levels all the time. So I, I do read this a little bit more as a film wrestling with meaning um, and, and religion more than just its literal, you know, search for a father. Yeah, I do... I do hope to find more uh, religious or spiritual meaning in it. Um, I found it to be, for me, more about, like, depression and loneliness, like, really earthly matters in a way. And how he's, I think it's kind of a, like, a 
sly fake out to do this big sci-fi thing and have it instead be actually about really grounded human concerns. But which isn't is that about, what Velocity of Z did? Um, I think so, but I would say first reformed, maybe not so much. Um, I don't know. I guess I, I think it is a lot like Velocity of Z. I think I agree with you on that. Um, I guess that's just not the word religion just doesn't come to mind. I think first and foremost about loneliness born out of a father's absence and then uh, a quest for closure and how Brad Pitt's sort of loneliness and sense of abandonment is sort of mirrored by this larger sense of loneliness um, experienced by his father and the realization that we might be alone in the universe. That is kind of maybe tied into this existential question of are we alone or are we not? I Um, I, I wouldn't dispute any of that. I I agree that all that's there, but like when Ruth Nega hits you with the story of her parents, you didn't go, oh, that's, that is Old Testament 101. This is biblical narrative that we're hearing right now. And then when he pulls himself up that, metaphorical umbilical cord through the lake of mars to board the spaceship and what happens in him repeating the sins of his father like you didn't pick up on like any biblical intent there that's i mean that's just really the the way i lean with anything is the biblical reading right i mean that's that's more my own personal take on things um i I don't dispute that 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 could be there or that's that that's a valid reading um I mean, I thought about a movie like uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind and how that's a movie about um, a dad whose obsession with extraterrestrial matters um, uh, leads him to abandon his kids. This is a movie about those kids having grown up and them not being okay with that Mm -hmm. Um, and the giant hole in the absence uh, that was left by the uh perhaps i need to rewatch that film i last watched it in seventh grade so yeah i mean that the end of that movie is uh richard dreyfus walking onto yeah and richard dreyfus leaves with the aliens and it's yeah like i I loosely remember the end and like the mountains and stuff but like i don't remember like it's something i should revisit yeah yeah but um you know the idea that people's people's obsessions um, drive them to places that that um, leave the people closest to them um, with giant holes in their lives, and that um, is what leads Brad Pitt to to close up to, ironically, become this tremendous asset within his field, but essentially incapable of feeling. Um, uh, which all just feels very kind of it's very relatable, I guess, um, in a way that feels kind of tangible in a way that um some of the more like transcendent examples that i think people kind of compare it to feel a little more um of a spiritual kind that i haven't quite tapped into here yet but i I don't i so let me clarify i'm not talking big picture spiritual like i'm not talking emotional spiritual i'm talking like brutal religious ideas like that his father is a serial killer and on earth they created a different myth about him and that God in the old Testament is technically like a serial killer. 
And then there's another testament that like made him kill his own son. And so, so there's, to me, there's a very low level um, mirroring of these religious ideas, not a, a deeply spiritual um, feeling to it, just like a, a blood grounded earth and blood metaphorical value to be found. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can completely see it just coming at it from different angles. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think it's a very logical follow-up to the lost city of Z. The way I thought about it was that it's, it's as if, um, Percy Fawcett's son played by Tom Holland Mm -hmm. didn't get to go on the journey with his father and then went and found him. Exactly. Um, and Charlie Hunnam was like, no, and then he drowned himself in a river. Right. You can see that playing out in the Amazon. Yeah. Um, I th- I think they play nicely against each other. So, one thing I hope we can agree on. Ooh. Heute von Heutema. Mein Gott. It's a great looking movie. No doubt about that. One of my favorite shots all year is that opening shot. Where we never see Brad Pitt. But we do see the reflection of his face as the camera pivots around the inside of his space helmet. Whew, that's a, very a pretty brief glimpse. shot. It's a very handsomely shot movie. Um, Do you have a favorite scene? Probably some of the sequences on Mars um, are some of the more striking uh, images that come to mind. What about you? Oh, the one I just mentioned? Opening oh, yeah. shot? Oh, yeah. I mean, the moon chase, like you said, is pretty cool to the dark side of the moon. Um, but that that opening shot and how important it feels at the end and the way that the those flares look like planets and respective planets um, that they should be in sequential order. And then how that beam of light um, or that that flare shows the uh, the ship reflecting mm. into the antenna. Um at the end is is just a killer bookend. Oh yeah, yeah. I did wonder a bit as I was watching it. Even though I really liked the scene on the moon with the pirates, I, I was thrilled by the scene with the apes. I was kind of debating in my head: were these kind of concessions in a way to keep people just going? Were these momentary thrills to kind of satisfy the people who did come for that, or do they kind of fit into a larger? framework i definitely like what you already said about the apes and the idea that it's something from uh our past that is you know still as much of a problem um for him in this one scene but uh that along with like the donald southern uh donald sutherland character and how each of these sequences just leaves brad pitt alone again just Mm -hmm. seems to emphasize that uh theme of loneliness like no matter who he seems to wind up with from one scene to the next, they're very quickly gone. Um, and it, it ultimately is a solo journey. So the fact that these things kind of happen and then very quickly leave him isolated again, I think did drive that home for me um, while also being very entertaining. Yeah. And I, the one thing that, that I would add on to that is that he goes to his father he gets the knowledge from his father. He gets that closure. He learns the 
the lessons of the father, if you will. And then when he arrives home, he's he's with Liv and he's honest and and everything is tidy. Um, well, not tidy, but y- you know, like he's developed, and I I think that that speaks toward that continued blood and earth level of biblical mm-hmm. metaphor where it's it's once you you acknowledge your father's sins and you take the knowledge that that those have for you back and you share them and and you grow and you accept it and you forgive then you you grow or something um Mm -hmm. i i think that it just it works so tangibly the whole time um this is one of the rare films where like i was just in it the whole time didn't Mm want to want to leave it i was just like kind of holding my face there for about two hours um yeah it's it's special it's a good sign uh i i do want to address the miss lead of the marketing campaign um did you notice or react to the fact that half the shots in the trailer are not actually part of the film no, I don't even remember that. Stuff's in the trailer is just we never see. Yeah, um, tons of the Liv Tyler footage mm. and conversations with Liv Tyler in the trailer we don't see, I believe. Um, that There's also an extended sequence about um, the material that Tommy Lee Jones has on the ship, mm. which we do see written, but it's never spoken about. The antimatter... Um, geez, what is it? The antimatter... I can't remember what the, maybe it was just an antimatter chamber. I can't remember, but it was originally addressed in the trailer that he had a specific type of element on project Mm. Lima to conduct this research, but none of that is included. Oh, so I do wonder how much of this film is on like, um, outlaw King. I wonder how much is still on the cutting room floor. and, And if we can get a director's cut of this, I'd honestly be more interested now that I've seen the Midsommar director's cut in the director's cut of this than Mm. I was in Midsommar's director's cut because there's so much more that I know isn't there because I've seen Mm. some of it. Yeah, I think uh, I can imagine there would be a a lot. Uh, I I thought that was why it took forever for it to come out was because he had been tinkering with the editing for so freaking long. Mm-hmm. Uh, that there was probably more material than maybe he knew what to do with. Well, I watched an interview where he said that there's like almost no way that he's going to be able to get it into camp. And I believe mm-hmm. he did get it into camp. I, th- I don't think so. I don't think it played. The, the goal was to finish it by May. So if he didn't finish mm-hmm. it by May, then yeah, it, there's clearly a lot because he was editing since January, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, quite the finished product. Agreed. Um, I want to end maybe with the one bit of criticism I have. Um, in Justice League, a film that you never saw, you do know one fact. Henry Cavill had facial hair when they did reshoots. They had the CG, the mustache out because he was shooting Mission Impossible Fallout. And that character needed to have his mustache in mm-hmm. that film because it was iconic. At the end of this film, when Brad Pitt has arrived home in the space capsule, we see a grainy, terrible-looking bit of facial hair on top of his face to indicate how many months it's been that he's been in this capsule when he's Mm. assisted out. And that was my one gripe. Um, Like, one major gripe, where I I just, like, totally, like, removed myself from the film, and I was like, what the fuck am I looking at? 
Interesting. I did not pick up on that. I will have to watch for it. In the director's cut. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah, the the criticism I I think I've seen a lot of people level at it is that uh, Liv Tyler is once again the sad woman left at home, left to mainly just look very sad. Um, Which she's one of the best at of all time. I guess. I saw a petition on Twitter going around say to be sent to studios demanding there be a movie where Liv gets to go to space for once. Um, that that was sad. I mean, I, I mean, I'm I like the movie at the same time that like I, uh, I can be tired of movies about white dudes going to space and at the same time still find it to be a good one. I just, I, I don't know. I just hold the two things in my head at the same time. Um, no. Well, then maybe you need to watch more space movies from other countries. Uh, I suppose so. I mean, I, I think. American directors can do that too, though. Yeah. Agreed. But there's there's good space movies out there. You know, we got uh, we got in the the German one from uh, Christian Albert, who you just watched another movie from a little bit ago. What was mm-hmm. it? Room 239 or case, something? Case, case 39. 39, there you yeah. go. Um, so I guess, you know, he's not an American filmmaker, but he, and he did put white guys in space, but Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's still got to mess around with it. Um, there's some interesting Chinese films coming out. I, I don't dispute the fact. I just, I think that this one's so sincere. And it's, I I know enough about James Gray's, like, immigrant story, I guess, as a person where I, I don't know that that criticism rings true for me in this specific film so much as it does as a whole in the industry. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, and I guess final question: Do you prefer the shots of Interstellar or the shots of Ad Astra? Um, Hoyte van Hoytema shot both. Mm, it's been forever since I saw Interstellar. I only saw it once when it first came out. Um, I would actually probably go with Interstellar off the top of my head. Okay. Um, I remember hearing about James Gray consulting with like various avant-garde filmmakers in the production for Ad Astra. I was like, actually like hoping for something more nonverbal and experimental than some of what we got. Um, uh, so I was actually maybe just ever so slightly disappointed in that. But um, So are you kind yeah. of hoping for that Ridley Scott take backsies of the narration? Because um, mm. the original Blade Runner. Blade Runner had him narrating, right? Mm. And the second, or the, the non-theatrical version took out the narration. Right. And then I think there's like three other versions of the movie. I don't remember all the details. There's like different things that he says at different points that like define which version, like a unicorn and stuff. Um, So would you like to watch this without the narration? I would be very curious. I don't think to me, he's not, he's not a full bodied character to me without the narration. It would still be, beautiful and maybe beautiful in a different way and it even better but the character that i came to know was through that narration yeah i guess i i it wasn't enough of a problem for me to not like enjoy and really respond to the ideas and the themes but i think it might have been a disservice to brad pitt's performance that i think i probably would have felt even more um 
about how closed off he is, how sealed up he is. Had we not heard that, I think that would think be that, even more impenetrable point. for general agree. audiences. Because then we would only be getting to know him through interactions with people and when he is passing a psyche valve. So that, that, that would be very interesting. I'm, I think I'm not it, it would be more involving for me in a way when I'm left with a little more to do, to think about what it is is going on inside him. I think there is plenty suggestive enough to... Um, let you ponder what is going on in this process of introspection. So do you um, think we should call James Gray, call for a three hour and 15 minute cut with no narration? Sounds right up my alley. We'll just watch Brad Pitt's nerves twitch underneath his eyes for like seven minutes straight. <laughs> sounds dope. <laughs> right? Um, right? I really like this movie. I do too. You like it? I do. A four is a like, right? Not a really like. But yeah. I, I'm um, dumb. Yeah. Brad Pitt is in my top three actors leading on the year. I've got some homework to revisit. Um, could still be Adam Driver and Don Quixote that takes the lead, mm. but um he's definitely he's up there with Mads Mickelson. Um I also have to rewatch Arctic, but it's Mads Driver Pitt for me. Where are you at? He'd probably be up there for me. It's a big year between that and Hollywood for him. Um, I really liked Leonardo DiCaprio, though, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I can't say that many other male performances have really jumped to mind for me. Hans um, <laughs> Mickelson. Hmm? What? What? What was that? I don't know. So, yeah, he uh, he'd probably be towards the top. All right. I think his Oscar chances are good, especially between the two of them. Yeah. On to Two Lovers. I'm going to go dancing with some friends of mine. Why don't you come with us? Uh-huh. He says he's going to stay with his wife. I want to take care of you. I feel like I understand you. I'm so lost, Lemmer. What's wrong? You okay? Yeah, I'm just thinking about my friend of mine. I love you. You'd think if I got to know you that I wouldn't love you. But I do know you, and I love you even more. All right. Working backwards through James Gray's filmography. I like this movie. What about you? This is a hell of a film. It's so good and original that I didn't actually know how to, like, log it. Mm. I was tempted to just like do a star log. I don't know what I actually said about it. I struggle to find words to communicate this film. Mm. Um, it's very, very good, very human, very deep. Walking is amazing. Gwyneth Paltrow is the best that she's ever been. And it feels so real and so human. And I like it a lot. I would agree. Um, I think I maybe have do, I do have some reservations, but they didn't really hold me back from enjoying it overall. Um, I'd absolutely agree. The performances are, are a big part of what do it. Direction is very sharp. It's just always a very easy movie to look at. Um, it's a very solemn movie. Um, he opened with a suicide attempt, so half-hearted, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. Right out of the gates, uh, the mood is somber. Um, uh, completely agree. Gwyneth Paltrow is 
very good here. Vanessa Shaw, I think, is the other is that her woman's name? name. She's yeah. very good when she's on screen, which is very briefly. I know her best from Hocus Pocus. That is about it. Yes. Didn't you see that recently? I did see it last, last October, I guess. year for some sort of a Hot minute ago. anniversary edition. Yes. Yeah. And she was the teenage girl in that, correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The, okay. the love interest. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, I found Joaquin Phoenix's characters uh, sort of instability um, depression yeah all very compelling i think the direction really emphasizes that um and one scene for example when he first uh goes to meet gwyneth paltrow's love interest at the restaurant that first shot when he sits down it's kind of a medium shot so it just you just really see how empty the frame is on either side of him he just looks so awkward and kind of, of out place. of place. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think uh, the direction goes a long way um, in contributing to that kind of alienation he has. Um, I guess my only reservation was just about how um, slightly calculated it feels and how, in like, the ease with which each of these women kind of take a liking to him. Even though Gwyneth Paltrow's character doesn't really fall for him romantically until later. Um, I, I couldn't quite shake the feeling that women who watch this might ri- might roll their eyes a little bit at it. Um, because I do think it's a it's kind of a it's a pretty male perspective. I think that's purposeful. Um, but uh, some, something about just how um easily they both kind of have an affinity for him when he isn't the most charismatic guy. Well, well, I mean, Gwyneth doesn't. Walk likes her, right? For for the majority of the film. he It's a one-way thing where he likes her and she thinks that he's a, a friend. And then the girl that likes him doesn't just meet him and like him. She, dis- she had come to like him through an external meeting and had a crush on him beforehand and then facilitated that introduction and then i mean that's the direction it went but i i don't i'm not disputing that maybe some of what you said is true but i think that there's a lot more um sincerity to the machinations of the plot than just like two girls decided they like walk yeah yeah i don't mean to to overstate like um how hard Gwyneth Paltrow's character falls for him, but even just the meeting between them, um, it's, I don't know, something about just how easily she walks into the apartment and they kind of strike up the friendship feels maybe slightly wish fulfillment-like to me from the perspective of Joaquin Phoenix's character. Um, And then especially when they do actually hook up, um, I don't know. I have very complicated feelings. I really like the scene at the same time that, um, the aftermath of it, when they're watching each other from across the apartment complex and she says that was beautiful, um, isn't 100% believable for me. It sounds like more like what Joaquin Phoenix would be hoping she would say than what I think that character might have actually said, um... But, uh, I don't know. The direction is kind of competing with how sort of swept up I was in the scene at the same time. 
Interesting. I don't feel like I got to know Gwyneth's character enough to feel one way or the other about that. That was beautiful line. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that there's enough clarity about the fact that she's being, that she feels like very emotionally vulnerable from the sense that like her boyfriend is married to someone else, spends most of his time with a different woman and that she just like needed to feel like she was the center of something mm. um, that like lets me buy into like her feeling that not like she feels that about him, but that she felt that way for herself sincerely in that moment. I, I think I can buy into. I don't I don't know that I viewed it as a reflection of her feelings for Joaquin as much as it was a feeling of reflection of someone treating her like they genuinely love her and that she is the center of their world. Yeah, yeah. And and that goes to... I, I would continue that off of the fact that she never reciprocates the I love you that Walk is mm. always throwing at her. Yes, very generously. Yeah. Whether saying it or writing it on her arm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, he's not holding back after a certain point. Not at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm, st- I'm, I'm still pretty positive on it, just wrestling with those aspects of it, I guess. Um what else? It feels... I, I think it feels real. I think it feels like a real neighborhood, real place. The world feels very real. Completely um, agree. And I, I was listening to some um, interviews with James Gray and how informative Mean Streets was mm. for him, as well as Raging Bull. And mm. that he, he really strives to communicate like a real sense of the place that he knew as, you know, a third, uh, I guess, second generation immigrant. I, I, I don't know exactly how it happened, but he his grandparents immigrated and I don't know if his parents were alive when they immigrated or not. Um, and and he grew up in New York, I think in the same. Um, gosh, what's the term there? Borough. In the same borough is uh, Martin Sorsese. So the, the films of, of Martin were very informative to him and he's trying to communicate that same neighborhood sense. Oh, and yeah. I think that that's really, really tangible for me here and in um, We Own the Night when I reflect on it. Oh, yeah. It just it, it feels very rich in that context. I haven't Completely seen The Yards, agree. but I've heard that The Yards is another thing that does that. The Immigrant, I think, absolutely felt yeah. authentic. Yeah, 100% agree. Like, uh, there's just no doubt about how believable the... The, the texture of the place is whether it's the um business the laundromat or the or the cleaners cleaners, cleaners. Yeah. yeah um or just the house itself that all feels very very lived in um you you see it and you just instantly buy it and that goes a very long way um the ending relief for you um uh any any particular feelings that the the ending left you with um i i was consumed with the sense of like if this were to ever happen this is how it actually would have ended i Mm. guess and that like right yeah like i can totally buy into the delusional guy who thinks he's gonna go to san francisco with this beautiful blonde move to the other side of the country and live a perfect life and that it just falls apart on him because the guy that has that thought 
would probably have it fall apart on him. Mm. And then the the way that he takes that ring and asks her to marry it, I just, it felt honest for the story. I'm not saying that it's real for real life, because I don't necessarily think that film should reflect real life. But mm. it feels really honest for the story, and I think that that worked for me. Yeah. I would agree. As a maturation um, of the character. Yeah. I'm still wrestling with just how I feel about Joaquin Phoenix's character, regardless of whether I like or dislike anything that happens, and whether or not like I feel like he really has kind of redeemed himself in any way by kind of returning to Vanessa Shaw's character after planning to abandon her. You know, I think that scene on the beach is, you know, maybe meant to suggest that he's... I wouldn't read it that way planning to abandon her i wouldn't read it that way i think that he's delusional and he moved from one delusion to another now whether or not that delusion works out for him the one that he ends with with vanessa totally up in the air but i think that i I do not read it as like abusive ill intent negativity towards her oh i agree great i i wouldn't have described it as like conscious abandonment but it was he was effectively abandoning her um, yes. And and, the, and whether or not the movie suggests that he has had this epiphany um, about Vanessa Shaw being right for him and us, therefore, um, not applauding the realization, but sort of understanding the realization. Like, I think I, I do come away with um, some real skepticism towards him at the same time. Maybe not skepticism, but um, like concern i guess um the way it feels to me like he's maybe realizing that despite his wanting to take care of gwyneth paltrow he might need someone to take care of himself uh, oh, that's and interesting he, and he realizes that that's what vanessa shaw can do i read to it me, a that's little not broader as, yeah that's not quite as it's definitely not like romantic to me um that it's about what she what he realizes she can do for him um, versus about a realization about what he sees in her and him. And that's why he's coming back to her. Mm, um, I didn't read that either. No. Interesting. Well, I'm not saying you're wrong. It's just, that's not, I, I was at a space where I was reading more about, I, I personally assume that this is that when we're talking about Gwyneth, we're talking about like the myth Um, that he, like, the lie that he believed in, or the myth that he believed in, whatever you want to call it, and that he was returning, maybe the American myth, if I was to be even more unabashedly reaching, Um, and that what he returned to was the tradition and the family. And not only is he getting Vanessa, but he's getting a future that is solid. He's He's buying back into the Jewish community that he's a part of. He's buying back into his borough. He's he's fulfilling his destiny at some level. So I I didn't view it so much as like an overture towards loving her, so much as an overture towards embracing tradition, doing what's actually best for him um, at multiple levels, and what's best for the community. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I do think that Vanessa's blind affection for him the way that he had blind affection for Gwyneth Paltrow might be enough to assuage anything in the middle. Cause I think she even said something to that effect at some point. And mm. I think that the, the parents of everyone would, would like that and that they'd be a great continuation in that borough. It just, it, it felt right at a, at a community level. I, I wouldn't necessarily f- 
think that that bears all the way down to individuals, but I, I don't know that that's what James was going for. Yeah, I could... I, I can completely see all that. And I think I just like that the movie, at least it felt like it was giving me enough room to sort of make up my own mind about Joaquin Phoenix by the end, whether or not you completely um, see him as, uh, uh, whether or not you completely kind of approve of, of his, of, of what he's done, I guess. I agree. Um, you know, it, I think that, that that might be like a thing for all Gray's characters though and mm. all Joaquin's roles in his yeah. many films but like Brad Pitt um Charlie Hunnam I think that these are these are actors who we can't we you know the way that you read them and the way that I read whoever we're talking about mm-hmm. neither of us is necessarily correct yeah yeah um yeah I like you that. could I say like... he operates in a gray space Ooh, oh. nice I like that I'm gonna keep that <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I think it it is a gray zone for me um, because I remain unsure about how I feel about that character. Was the palette of the camera similar to We Own the Night for you? Oh, absolutely. Because about halfway Mm -hmm. through the movie, I was like, where the fuck is Ava Mendez again? (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah 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 because uh, this is joaquin phoenix isn't she supposed to like be around the corner <laughs> yeah it's when he's in the courtyard waiting for Gwyneth paltrow to meet him she walks oh. down that kind of narrow alleyway and you just really see her silhouette and there's that such shot. an eva mendez shot exactly right she's walking from just one room to another i think within an apartment but i'm like oh man that's like you could put those shots next to each other uh and yeah see the resemblance right away um I think I would have liked this more on screen in a cinema. Um, There's something weirdly cinematic about it. Um, Because it is a drama. It is a melodrama, but it's not a melodrama and it's not Mm. a drama. It's like a character piece um, that wouldn't be a character piece with almost any other actor. There's something really special about Joaquin that I'm, I'm still working on figuring out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To me, he always just feels slightly broken uh, in a way that's like very sympathetic, but also a little scary because of um, it's maybe an unpredictability or something like that. I, I, I would agree that like that's there, but there's something about the the act the acting quality that he has and the way that he acts. It's just a little bit different than any other actor I can think of. Mm -hmm. It's, I think it's great. Doesn't mean that it's good or bad, but I do. I personally find like that quality great. Oh yeah. And I, I just don't quite know what that quality is yet. It's kind of Brandoian, like something that Marlon Brando has where like the, the physical space of his body and its emotions are somehow physically expressed on the screen at all times. Mm. And I don't, I don't, know that i'm right or that the words i said completely reflect what i think but i'm i'm working it out yeah yeah for me it's something about him feeling just slightly damaged like i cannot picture him in like a, oh, he's a sad puppy. brightly lit rom-com because he just never feels like he is a sprightly figure um although i'm I, I sure know. there's some example i'm forgetting um, i think he could do it though it, it would be, yeah, I don't know. I'd, like, I'd like him and Will Ferrell in a balls-to-the-wall comedy. 
Yeah, has he done a comedy? I'm sure he probably has. Um, so there's something someone could point some to homework and, for us. Yeah, there's there's surely some exception to the. Rule. I'm sure he did like um, the holiday or something where like yeah. Dennis Quaid dropped out and <laughs> like took the paycheck or something. Yeah, um, but yeah. This, uh, the master, her, uh, you were never really here. Um, we yeah. on the night. Um, yeah. Gladiator. The, the always s- slightly cracked psyche that feels um, very just unpredictable and therefore very exciting. Uh, even in a small drama like this that therefore in turn feels very big. And we got to do a little Joker homework by doing this. Exactly. Very, this is a productive watch. It was. It'll, and previously, The King of Comedy, we're, we're on a roll prepping for Joker. We are very ready. I Joker. really hope Joker's good. Should we watch all the Hangover movies in preparation while you're gone in New York? No. I think we should. You want to do it and report back? I'm, I'm just going to text Gabby mm-hmm. to put them all on and as a troll. And then she'll, she'll be like, no, I won't watch them. And then I'll be like, just troll Michael. And she'll probably be like, oh, yeah, let's fuck with them. <laughs> Give it a go. Let me know. Oh, you'll you'll tell me. <laughs> I won't give you a warning. Um, on to Alta Plano. Let's do it. just watched a short we haven't done any shorts in a while not in a while this one's called altiplano directed by melena salam i've watched this once before earlier this year easily one of my favorite works of cinema of the year that is why we reached out to her to get a a review copy because this was one of the very few films in your top 10 that i had never heard of or seen that's right first impression exquisite um i've got a lot to say about this um first and foremost i want to say that it's like if wiseman made a short film um but like better than that even but like it Mm. does what wiseman does where like you get to know a place um specifically at a geological level um I love this. I love the layering. I love the sound design. I love the use of light. I love the space and the time that she gives it. Um, I do have a major criticism that it's not as long as I want it to be. Should uh, be like five hours. I feel like I could watch it. Like I, I was leaning forward watching it. Like I, I was enraptured by it. Um, but this is one of those pieces where I, I can point at it and I can say, see. There is proof that there's something special that you can do in the virtual reality medium with film that would be more moving than watching this even in a cinema. Because if you could put on a pair of VR goggles with like Dolby headset and you could see the 3D version of the cinematography that we see here with the layering of the shots, I think that would be some of the most moving visual media you could ever consume and experience. Mm. Thrilled you like it. 
I really like it. I did not expect mm-hmm. to like it that much. I expected like it would be fine. You're like, yeah, that's that's cool. But I guess I really mm-hmm. like this. News to me. <laughs> yeah, I had only seen it once before. I remain completely intoxicated by it. Um, I don't know. I really haven't figured out how to talk about experimental cinema in like sentences rather than just adjectives. But I just find that there is a real sense of mystery to it. Um, it somehow feels very otherworldly at the same time that I it's the recognizable earth. Um, it, the sound just makes it feel like this kind of storm of images uh, that is just completely arresting. I don't know. There, there hasn't been anything as formally dazzling for me this year aside uh, than this. Um, it is not long enough. I agree. I could do more. Um, you know how when you go on vacation, you're like there for like seven or ten days and you come back and you're like, I know what that place is like. That idea, like, I know what that place is like. That's what this does. It's like, I know what that place is like. Like, I know the salt flats. I know how the mountains look with the light. I know what type of light there is. Um, I know what the water looks like. I, I kind of have an idea of how the salt looks. I know about the geysers. I I know how the moon looks at different points in the sky. Um, it's just like, I, I know that place. Like, I'd love to see more of these about other like unique places like this. Mm-hmm. Cause it, it does something that not really anything else does. Like I said, Wiseman does that in a long form and about people, but like a geological record that's told through sound and cinema. Um, I'm very intrigued by this. I think there's a, I, I hope there's a lot of um, room for this to expand. I know that it's probably very hard to find fiscal investment and backing for things like this, but I really do think that in the scale of things, this is something that I could see um, being a companion piece of programming in something like a modern version of an encyclopedia Britannica, where Mm -hmm. in order to understand Chile, one of the mandatory Mm -hmm. things you do is watch this 15-minute short from Mm -hmm. Marina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, the the landscapes here are as memorable as any character or plot twist that I have experienced at the cinema this year. Um, I think it's just a uh, prime example of what non-narrative cinema can do and how uh, arresting it can be. I, I, I can't think of anything else this year other than maybe uh, In Fabric, which has just elicited the my sense of touch to the degree that this has, um, uh, especially partway in when you start hearing all the snapping and the crackling, mm-hmm. um, that just feels so super tangible. Well, I, mean, I gather you did watch it at home, but Arctic didn't do anything in that, that level for you. Um, it did. I, not to this degree, but, uh, okay. I would, uh, I could see that for sure. Cause th- there's definitely like a qualitative, crunch to the snow and mm. and the the wind blistering his hands as he's trying to keep them going as the mm. the frostbite is slowly sinking in that mm-hmm. i think that the sound design and and the physicality you know i i definitely see similarities but mm-hmm. perhaps there's a level of removal when you don't see that at cinema right she should do her own take on arctic and it's just the arctic i, I would love piece. that there you also go. the antarctic 
also Everest, also Mount Fuji, also uh, just like on safari. Um, show me like a lake in Croatia. Um, mm-hmm. Show me the the Swiss Alps. Show me uh, the Rhine in Germany. Like I give it to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I read it was the first time she'd ever done something with sound. All of the all of her other all of her previous work was silent. Um, mm. So I'll have to I'm eager to check out her other work. Maybe on our next Agreed. short episode. We Agreed. Can we see should if we can get our hands on those. Attempt to acquire some of that that sweet sweet visual goodie. Um, I really really enjoy this. It's currently circulating um, numerous short film festivals around the world. I do not believe it has a current release date or um, digital rollout, but we will be sure to notify everybody when we get news on if they can watch it. Word. Verbesum. And you know what that means, Michael. That's another one in the can, Taylor. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant.